Second Chronicles twenty seventeen says, You shall not need to fight in this battle. Take your position. Stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow you will go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Going into the devotion, it says all of us fight various kinds of battles in our lives. No one escapes problems and challenges, which we often call the storms of life. The good news is that God already knows what he will do when we face difficulties. He has a plan to bring us victory. Not only that, Second Chronicles 20 tells us that we don't need to fight our own battles because our battles belong to the Lord, not us. All we need to do is take our position and remain in them until our breakthrough comes. I'm reminded of a song by Yolanda Adams that says, the battle is not yours, the battle is is the Lord. So whatever storms you may face today, take your position and know that God has favored you to weather the storm, to fight through your battles. I often say that um, in the battles of life that we often face, you know, when we turn them over to God, sometimes God don't make the storm go away. Sometimes we have to stay in the storm. So sometimes God will allow the storm to rage, but he'll calm his child. There's other times that he'll calm the storm and let his child elevate above the storm. So just understand that today I encourage all of you to just take your position in whatever storms of life you face. That's our quick devotion as we start off getting ready for this dynamic speaker. So uh, we want to start off in prayer. Father, we thank you now for this opportunity of these men, these men who love you, God, and have taking an oath, a pledge to worship you every day of their lives, to put you first in their lives and allow you to be the foundation of their families, their homes, their communities by putting you first. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to come together in brotherhood, to strengthen one another, to love on one another, to pray for one another. When one is hurting, we all hurt, and we lift one another up. But not only that, God, but we come together and we praise together and we worship you together. We sing together. So, God, we lift you up. Now, God, we ask you to prepare our hearts for a word this morning that would not only change our lives but would inspire us to go out and change the world. God, we thank you now for these men. We thank you for the Stolen Lunches ministry. And, God, we want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do not only today but in the future of the lives of these men that are gathered here today. I believe you favored them, and I know that they're going to go out and change the world. They're destined for greatness. So, God, we lift you up. We honor you today. We praise you. We adore you. We love you, God. We start off this morning by putting you first and lifting you up high on the throne, God, because you said, if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto me. And, God, it's to your name that we lift you up and we praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now let me introduce this guest speaker for the day. <laughs> and as I open my eyes, the room is already filled up. Good day. Uh, this brother, man, he's been a part of this ministry from day one, man, and we're just so honored to have him uh, be our guest speaker today, teaching on leadership. He is a leader in this community, and we're honored to call him our friend. Please. Stand in the room. Put your hands together for Tim Nurse. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Uh, thank you, uh, Fly Top, Brother J- Derek Jacobs. Um, had a, uh, he had asked me a little while back to speak, and um, ironically, the first time I spoke was a year ago, uh, which was October last year at Sydney's. Um, and um, I had this word, which is uh, I'm going to share to you guys. I call it the success equation for leaders. Um, really, it's not a perfect equation, like a mathematical equation, but I kind of set it up that way. And we'll be uh, reading from a story from uh, David. So before, when David first got on the scene, King David, same David from David and Goliath. We're going to talk a little bit about it. I handed out some uh, some sheets with notes. It's kind of pretty, pretty much put my mind on paper. Um, I have really more scripture than anything. 
here. So I'm going to ask everybody in the room to help read some of the scripture and also uh, participate. So when you look at the sheet, you have some scripture and then different variables, right? When you think of an equation, the equation has different variables and constants and all that stuff. But uh, we have seven different points. Uh, so I want y'all guys to kind of follow because each part of the scripture has a different point, and I'll speak to that message, all right? So we kind of structure it as a conversation. And also I have a question. So I'll actually ask you guys to just share whatever's on your heart. If you have something to share, if you don't have anything to share, that's fine. We just kind of want to open up and dialogue because, you know, we want to bring the word to life, right? So we're going to read the word, see how it kind of applies to what we do on a daily basis, right, bring the word to life. All right, so a little background about myself. Uh, my name is Timothy Nurse, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I might talk a little fast sometimes, maybe eat my words from time to time, but um, that's kind of the way I was raised. Uh, I was saved around the age of 26. I grew up in the church, and I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfect. I'm not a preacher. I don't do sermons. This is something that just from all my heart, I'm trying to relay a message that somebody gave me to you. So I'm just being a, a funnel of information, you know what I'm saying? And... Um, uh, when I thought about leaders, I thought about leaders in the Bible, and you have Abraham, you have Elijah, Elisha, you have, uh, obviously you have Jesus, right? And uh, one of the leaders in the Bible that uh, that's in the Old Testament is David, and David's story kind of goes from beginning to end, and we're going to start with the beginning when David first, first got on the scene. Um, some theologians think he was either 10 to about 16 years old. We don't know how old David was at this point in his life, but we do know he was a young man. Um, so. Um, so basically, there was a king already, king of Israel. His name was King Saul. He was a tall guy, um, but uh, King Saul upset God, and God, God wanted to choose, appoint a new king. So he told one of the prophets, which is the prophet Samuel, to go find me a new king. So I'm trying to just, you know, paraphrase the story a little bit. Um, uh, so uh, God told Samuel what, to, Samuel what to go to find the next king. They didn't give him a lot of information. They said, go to Jesse's house. The next king is going to be at Jesse's house. All right, so I'm going to ask one of you guys to volunteer to kind of read that first section. So I'm going to ask from Brother Derek Jacobs to, to, start, to start us off. All right, y'all don't have to excuse me this morning if I fumble over my words a little bit. You know you're getting older when you go to the doctor just this week. And uh, they told me I needed glasses for me. <laughs> and this print is pretty small, but watch me work it out. I'm going to work this thing out. All right, so. Let me hold it back a little bit. <laughs> First Samuel 16, second verse to the 12th verse. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elab and thought, Surely the Lord has anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then said, Shemaiah passed by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons that you have? Then Jesse said, that still is the youngest. He's outside tending the sheep. Samuel said, send, send for him. We would not sit down until he arrived. So he went, sent. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and had handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. Thank you. That was great. That was a, felt like I was in the story right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that was a good job. So basically, so, so Samuel went to the house of Jesse, and, and, and God said to Samuel, this is, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. He said, well, do you have any more kids? And basically, the, the thought process is what I underline is that um, what Samuel did is what we do from time to time. We don't look at inward appearance when it comes to making a crucial decision. So just think about today's day and age when you have to make a decision for a new job or the woman you want to marry or, uh, or move from one city to another. You have to really think about the deeper issue and view it from God's perspective. How would, how would you would do, uh, 
to look at the bigger bigger kingdom, right? So um, my main point here is that we don't ha- we don't have to when we make decisions in life, um, we shouldn't look at the outward appearance. We should look at what God would see in the situation. So my first point, the first variable is view life from God's perspective. So I look a blank there so you kind of take notes. Um, so the first point is view life from God's perspective. So I want to ask you guys a question. Um, have you have ever had a situation where you have to take back, take a step back and view life from a God's perspective to make a crucial decision? So have you ever had a situation, again, where you had to kind of take a step back and view it from his perspective? Anybody like to share? Uh, yeah, the first thing that kind of popped up into my head, um, so when I was a senior in high school, um, I had signed a letter of intent to go play for a Division One basketball school. Um, I had told my ACL my senior year, and then so, um, you know, it was rough, right? And then my mom, she always told me, like, make sure your grades are right. You know, the ball's going to stop bouncing one day. So, you know, for me, I didn't necessarily listen. My grades were always good, but stay hard-headed. Then the next year, after my freshman year, that summer I told my other ACL, right? So this is two years in a row. So um, I remember I was sitting in the hospital room, and just some came to me. I was like, you know, I got to think of a bigger picture than just playing sports. You know, um, I had always had, like, opportunities to do public speaking events and um, mentor and, you know, community service and things like that. And I knew doing those things I always felt most fulfilled. Um, so, you know, I'm still finding that path. Um, it's more and more clear, but that was probably one of the uh, the biggest things that I thought was pretty catastrophic and changed my life where I had to step back and say, you know, this is bigger than just, you know, being on the court all day and, and shooting hoops. So that's the first thing that came yeah. I share. I, I know that at the time when you told your ACL, I know you was like, God, you didn't tell my ACL. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember being, and, and many of you probably have felt like this at one point and another, uh, being at a job where, on Sunday night, you get that sick feeling in your stomach, like, man, I got to go to work <laughs> on Monday morning, and, and the lady get on Sunday night, you just get excited. You know, that that's something that I feel like God is trying to tell you when you're really not happy where you're at. And I remember, you know, saying, okay, man, I'm making great money, but I really have to kind of step back and look at this. So eventually, you know, God opened up another door for me to be somewhere else than I had peace, I had happiness, and I I love going to work, but financially, it wasn't really conducive to where I was at. I didn't need a whole lot of money at the time, but I said, God, I'm a lot happier. So I got an opportunity to go back to the job, you know, that was paying me the money. So God said, are you doing this for the money? Are you doing it for purpose? You know, you asked me to be an influencer on your job, and, and I opened that door for you. So now you're going back saying you're doing it for the money. So I had to step back and look at that situation and saying, okay, God, this is where you want me at this time. So I'm kind of looking at it from God's perspective saying that, okay, this ain't about the money that I'm here and doing what I'm doing now. It's really about changing lives, you know. Well, there it is. View life from God's perspective. Sometimes we get caught in the weeds with things that happen or we don't see it. Um, we try to make our own decisions to things. But sometimes we have to take a step back and think, what would God think about the decision I'm about to make? So that's, the, that's kind of my point. All right, so I'm going to move on to the second story. So I'm going to need another volunteer to read the second set of scripture. This is from 1 Samuel 16:18. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse at Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. All right, thank you. So a few things to know here. So since we ended the story at last, David was appointed to be the next king, but he was still young. He was still the youngest son of Jesse's house. Um, still tending to the sheep, um, uh, and, you know, sometimes walking into destiny takes time. So, you know, even though he was appointed king by Saul, um, he wasn't king right there and then, 
you know, um, he, what, once, he was appointed king by Samuel, but he wasn't the king right then and there once he was appointed. It took time. He's still a young man. Um, it took time for him to walk into his destiny. But God took his spirit and put it on David. So Saul had an evil spirit on him and was tormented. For Saul to get rid of his evil spirit, he was recommended for somebody to play an instrument. A lyre is like a, a harp kind of thing back in the day, I guess. And basically he needed somebody to play music so he could feel calm, so his spirit could feel calm. And uh, basically somebody said, well, I heard of a man who could play the, the lyre. He's a brave man, a warrior. And they said man, man, man a few times. And remember, David was the youngest in the house. So David had to invest in some of his skills to be known to be a warrior, known to be a lyre player, right, known to be a well-spoken person. So my second point is invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. So that's my second point, invest in yourself. I'll put a space there so you can write notes, notes, right? Invest in yourself. So basically, uh, um, my message here is that we are all given different skills, right? We all different different things that we're good at doing, but we have to take time to invest in ourselves so we can show it, right, and be more outwardly uh, beacons of light. So whatever you're good at doing, um, do it to the best of your abilities. So I have a question here at the bottom. It says, have you ever felt like you had a skill that is not being developed because you're not putting the time to, to work on it? So have you ever felt like there's a skill that you can actually do better at doing that you know that you're good at doing, but you're not actually putting the time to do it. So I'm going to leave it open if anybody has anything that comes to mind, you know, to share. All right, guys. Uh, hey, guys, it's uh, Curtis Robinson here. Um, something that pops into my mind is, is kind of along the lines with, I guess it's my, my talent and my skill, but it kind of mixes into my career uh, as well. Um, kind of going back to what he was talking about, you know, just – looking at uh, things from a different perspective. I was trying to get into physical therapy school for years after college, and, you know, that didn't work out um, just from the competitive rate and everything like that. So um, now I've been, you know, gracious enough to be able to work with uh, growing a business down here in Charlotte. And, um, you know, I, I fight a lot of times with, with confidence sometimes, you know, talking to people and things like that because when you are put in a situation where people come to you for answers, you want to be as knowledgeable as possible and have, like, every answer to every single question. So um, I feel like sometimes I feel like I, I know so much, but then at the same time it's like I couldn't know so much more. So I feel like that's a skill. Like, I, I have that ability to, you know, if you guys don't know what I do, I'm a corrective exercise specialist, so I, I know a lot about the body. So I'm, I have that ability to kind of look at the body and know what's going on with it and know how to fix it. But at times I feel like I lack confidence, but I'm like I can only, you know, kind of beat myself up because I didn't put the time in to really learn more and, like, read more and, you know, get more than the knowledge that would help me to, to get to that level. So um, I guess that would be, like, the skill that I feel like I'm, I'm harnessing, but I'm not really giving it 100% of my time and effort to, to really kind of, uh, you know, own in on it. So, you know, as we all think about what skills that we have, what are we good at doing, um, and then sometimes people think about, like, what is my purpose in life? What am I here for, right? One thing a preacher told me that always stuck with me is that your purpose is when uh, the natural skills and ability that God has invested in you where it meets human need. So whatever that may be, mean for you, everybody has different things that they could do that they could help other people, but that's really our purpose in life. God gave us those skills that we're a good speaker, we're a good writer, or we're good, good at math, or whatever we're good at doing, we're good at helping others, or cleaning, or whatever it might be, right? Um, we have to have to invest in ourselves to figure out what are we, what are we even good at. Some people don't even know what they're good at doing because they haven't tried or even um, keyed in on those skills. So that was my second point. So I'm going to go on to my third scripture. It's actually the shortest one. Does anybody want to uh, volunteer to read uh, 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel 16:21. David came to Saul and entered the service. Saul liked him very much. And David became one of the armor bearers. So this is really big, right? So David was a shepherd in the back of the house. Nobody really paid him. The guy, his dad didn't even say his name when he called him. I remember. So when Jesse said, oh, this is the youngest, he's in the back. He didn't even call his name. But now David is at the king's, at the, in the kingdom playing the lyre for the king. Um, and David had to become a servant. So my third point is commit to servant leadership. Commit to servant leadership. That's my third point. So basically, um, um, in Matthew twenty sixteen, Jesus had a parable. We talked about the vineyard worker who felt underpaid, 
um, that's the last. You have to kind of share. So double up. Somebody help out and double up. Yeah. Had a printing issue this morning. Anyway, so commit to servant leadership is my third point. And, um, and servant leaders aren't glorious jobs. Uh, those are the ones that people are overlooked, but it's good to commit to servant leadership because what are you doing? You're servicing and helping others. And that's why people don't do, don't volunteer. You don't help the, the younger man. You don't help somebody bring you up. But we all have somebody to help us get to where we're at today. Somebody pulled you up, right? So it's good to pull somebody else up. And um, one thing David did in this time is he did service for King Saul, so he committed to servant leadership. So I have a question. One, do you know what servant leadership is? And then two, have you ever had benefits from being a servant leader and any felt benefits or get, got any benefits from being a servant leader? So I'm going to open that up for discussion. Got one. Um, so you said your first one, what, what is servant yeah. leadership? Um, kind of the way, the way I see it is, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like sacrificing your time and your efforts to help someone else out. Um, but within doing that, you kind of make them the best that they could be as well. Um, and in regards to the question that you have on the paper, have you ever seen benefits from being a servant leader? Um, definitely. You know, um, for those of you, there's a few people in here that know, but I do music um, pretty heavy. And uh, and I know there's a studio here in Charlotte where I went up to and, and just kind of asked if I could, you know, sit and learn. And the guy, he, you know, he's won Grammys and things like that. He's real tough on me, real hard on me. But, um, you know, I would go in there, bust my behind every day, um, you know, being there all hours of the night. And pretty much, you know, one of the things that I learned with him was, you know, how disciplined he was and how he treated people. You know, he, he talked to people um, as if they were family. You know, he welcomed them. And um, so, the benefits that I always see when I'm, I'm being a servant leader is really knowledge and, you know, how people carry themselves and, and ways that I could fix problems or, or add benefits or add value. Um, so those are kind of the things that I learned being a servant leader. Um, I think, uh, on Mike, by the way, um, I think servant leadership has, uh, you know, the greatest impact on people. Oftentimes a servant leader would put others' needs before their own. I mean, their interest is truly in the people, um, their hearts for the people. Um, in this particular passage, David, it, the Bible says he had a heart um, after God. He, he, had a, he had a heart after God's own heart. So what I'm trying to say in this is, you know, when a servant leader steps to the forefront and people truly understand that he has a heart or she has a heart for them, the people will go an extra mile, go the extra mile for that particular leader. That's the benefit I usually see in servant leaderships because if they have a heart for the community, heart for the people, the people in turn engage in that particular leader, and then that leader has influence over that community. And the influence is genuine. Um, it's, it's very genuine, and, and a servant leader often doesn't neglect or manipulate the people. Best form of leadership is to serve. The word ministry means to serve others. I remember um, volunteering at the homeless shelter uh, every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's a place called the Harvest Center. And I encourage you guys to check it out. And um, what they do is they feed meals to two, three hundred homeless. And I would go in there and I would I would serve. But the conversations that I would have with those men and women in there would actually bless me a whole lot more than I was blessing them. A lot of times when you give to other people, you get so much more in return. So I began to get excited about it. And then I was dealing with some things in my own life at the particular time, and they asked me to share because before they served meals, they, uh, they would have someone deliver a word. And there was a lot of stuff that was inside of me that I needed to get out. But actually everything that I had dealt with or going through at that time, I was able to express it, which made me feel better, which also blessed them. So speaking of servant leadership, you know, I was taking over a role of being a leader, but actually serving others, being a blessing to me. So a lot of times when you pour into people's lives, you just don't know the return that much more. The Bible talks about 
you know, whatever we cast out, it'll come back a hundredfold. Perfect, perfect. So just to recap of where we're at right now, uh, we're walking through King David, or well, David, when he's a young kid, right before he fought Goliath, right? So this is 1 Samuel 16. We're taking some pieces from the scripture and kind of breaking it down to certain points of an equation for leadership. The first point was you life from God's perspective. Second point was invest in yourself. The third was com- commit to certain leadership. So I'm going to jump back into the story. So David was playing the harp for King Saul, like we said a little bit earlier. A war broke out between the Israelites and the Philistines. And uh, basically Goliath, who was about, he says about eight feet tall, so think like Shaq or somebody like Yamin, you know, uh, with, uh, they said that he had a, a lot of armor, even had a guy carrying his shield for him. So he had a lot of weight on him, right? And they say he was a bad guy, right? He talked trash, he yelled out, and people were scared of him because nobody wanted to fight him. Nobody was that big at that time, um, in that time period. So um, uh, so I'm going to jump back into the story. I'm going to ask somebody to, to, to kind of read that fourth one. Uh, anybody would? Uh... Right, we're reading from First Samuel 17, verses 13 through 15. Jesse's three oldest sons and followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And just think about it. So David had two jobs. One job was to play the harp for King Saul, the second job is to be a shepherd back at home. Both really tough jobs, very different, right? And this kind of leads me to my third point. It's time prioritization, right? Time prioritization. What are you doing with your time when it comes to the many different hats that you get? Some of us are fathers. Some of, some of us are brothers. Some of us are uh, different leaders in the community. Some of us have jobs. We have to kind of put 100% at everything we do at once. And I think it was kind of interesting here that David had to do two different things and had to go back and forth from both the kingdom and back at home to being a shepherd. Spent a lot of time by himself being a shepherd, kind of working on his skill set, praying to God. And he talks about it in, uh, in Psalms, in some of the scriptures and Psalms, the things he did as a shepherd. But it's, in, it's important for us to prioritize our time when it comes to being a Christian, being a husband, being a, a son, right? It's a lot of responsibilities we have. So I have a question here at the back, it says, uh, how many hats do you wear on a daily basis, and how do you try to be 100% at everything you do? So um, I'm going to leave that open. Does anybody have any comments when it comes to prioritizing your time and being 100% at everything you do or trying to be? Um, it's crazy. I was actually driving, um, in this morning and, you know, just praying to God, you know, saying, I, I just really need to hear something that is really going to kind of help push me through my situation. And it's crazy how every time I come here, I, I get that every single time. It's crazy. But, um, I'm actually dealing with that same situation. Like right now, um, pretty, pretty much just trying to work on prioritizing time, you know, building a business while you ha- like, while you work a full-time job you have to give 100% at every situation because if you, if, the, if you slack off at any of them, I mean, you're, you're you know, risking losing at least one of them. So finding out how to really show, you know, you're giving 100% at both, both ends, it's, it's really taxing. It's very stressful. And especially, you know, being a newlywed, you, you, you have to give 100% at home as well. So you don't want to give 100% just in your, you know, career and you know, your own priorities. And then, you know, put somebody else on the back burner. So um, I feel like really just the biggest thing for me is just making sure that I keep God 100% first and just let him fight 100% of my battles and really ask him for help and just give him strength. Because I know that he gives me the tools to fight anything that I'm going through. Um, so I can't just be like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, set this off to the side and, you know, do this off, you know. But anyway, giving giving 100%. I feel like is being able to end the day looking in the mirror and say, okay, I did everything I could do to my, the best of my abilities, and I feel like, oh, I could have done that a little bit better. As long as you feel like, you know, you're satisfied with what you did and you feel like, you know, nobody could have said, okay, 
I could have done this, you know, a little bit more. I felt like you easily could have done this better or slacked off, you slacked off here. Um, then that takes a lot of the stress off of me. I feel like I'm always going back and forth like, man, if I just was able to give 100% of my time in one place, if I was able to give 100% of my time in one place, but it's not so much time, I think it's 100% effort. Does that make sense? Yeah, so so I think um, the more people will more think about, uh, you know, 100% effort as opposed to just not having anything to worry about except one thing, you become a lot better with handling, you know, those multiple situations. The key word that um, I like about what you said is balance. You know, uh, how many of you guys in here work, work full-time, part-time? How many of you guys are husbands that got a girlfriend? <laughs> how many of y'all um, got kids? Anybody got kids in here? So when you're dealing with all those, and I ain't even talking about your extracurricular activities, you have to create balance. Because if you guys are anything like I am, you want to be good at everything you do. But when you got people pulling for your attention, you got your lady, kid, work, and then extracurricular activities, uh, other things, you know, for me it's uh, servanthood, you know, trying to bring brothers together. I was discussing this with my wife yesterday, and she was just getting on me. My beautiful, gorgeous, amazing, talented wife. I'm only saying that because she's in the room, y'all. <laughs> She's saying, she said to me, you know, we were discussing having children. And she said, right now, this is your baby. You have to put just as much time and effort bringing men together, you know, servanthood, giving back to the community and encouraging one another as you do everything else you do. Because sometimes in our life we can slack in one area, you know, and feel like we're doing great in another. But I do believe when you create balance, everything flows. And and God will allow, you know, uh, you have that time to put forth your best effort in everything you do. But the key word with that is balance. All right. So, John, uh, good. Thank you. And you guys could volunteer back there, too. Oh, we got some else. Hello, I'm Torian. Uh, I think one of the best advice that I've ever heard was um, that all the roles that you play with in the day or that you have to take on, that you're going to fail at one of them every day. Either it's a father, husband, you know, school, job, one of them you're going to fail. I think the key is not to fail at it every day, not let it be the same thing every day. So if today I didn't spend enough time with my kids, well, tomorrow I'm going to make sure I put more effort to spend time with my kids. So I think... Most of it just be consistent and not try to fail every day. So, so uh, I'm gonna jump back into the story. Um, uh, so I'm on my my fifth point. So basically, like I said, Goliath was in the in the valley talking trash for about 40 days. Who's gonna come fight me? Nobody wants it, right? He's like, who want what? You know what I'm saying? So he so that's basically what he's doing. And uh, uh, Jesse asked David, his youngest, to get to take food to his brother to the front line. Hey, go get some food, send it to your brothers. And um, uh, the, the war was about to start, start, just about to start, and David heard, when he got there, heard Goliath talking trash and knowing that nobody was trying to fight Goliath. Like, why nobody's trying to go out there? He's out here talking trash. What, nobody want to go, you know, handle the business? And um, so David started acting around why nobody wants to fight him. So I want to ask if anybody want to volunteer. So I literally put scripture here so, so people can read it. So I'm read it all. So does anybody want to read that fifth one that I have here? David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what, we do- this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. 
Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Uh, so basically, just paraphrasing, nobody wants to fight him, and David kind of t- took a step up and said, you know, I want to go fight this guy. The fight almost didn't happen. If you realize, um, David's brother kind of came at him and was like, well, well, why are you even here? And David kind of ignored him, kept the conversation going, and really asserted himself. So my fourth, my uh, fifth point, so my first point was view life from God's perspective, invest in yourself, uh, commit servant leadership, uh, Time prioritization, right? We just spoke about. My next point is operate in faith, right? Operate in faith. So, um, what I want to say here is that you know David was again underestimated by his appearance, but he didn't let that phase him. He kind of operated and knew what he had inside of him, right? He was a servant. He was a servant. He was a shepherd. He know he could be. He know he could be his Goliath. And we all have our personal Goliath, whatever we think is the main thing that is preventing us preventing us to move forward in life, and we could defeat that, but we have to operate in faith. So I have a question here. If you, have you ever had a situation where you can operate in faith and I kind of say, you know, work, walking into a curtain, not knowing what's on the other side, right? So that's kind of like the thought process when you have to operate in faith. So I want to just open it up for discussion if anything comes to mind where you think about a Goliath in your life, and you have to kind of operate in faith to get past that Goliath. Um, I think in any when, – whenever we're walking in faith, number one, um, I think – we're going to meet opposition that's going to challenge our faith. Um, I'm on a faith walk even now. Um, I've been here three years. I moved from the D.C. area to Charlotte. God told me literally to move to Charlotte. And I'm like, what? I got a good job in D.C., good federal job in D.C. Why am I going to leave it? So move, no job. And that was that was the biggest challenge because I couldn't, I mean, nobody was calling me back. And I was sending out resumes and it was probably, I think it was like mid-July, and God was like, move. So I literally started packing up my house, and I told my wife, my mother-in-law lived, I said, well, you're going to move in with moms. I'm going to handle everything up here. And it was literally at that point when I really made a true leap and really packed up my house, pulled everything out, my phone rang. And, and in that in that testimony, Oftentimes, we don't see what's on the other side. God is just trusting us to step forward, take that next leap. And when you leap, he's going to catch you. Um, And what I like about this story, you have people talking in your ear, trying to discourage you from going to the next step, because that next step for David was the palace. Yeah, he was playing, he was serving in the palace, but really he walked into his purpose. This was the this was the hinge in his purpose. He pivoted at this point, and his brother was the closest person, one of the closest persons to him, spoke doubt into his life, but he didn't let that discourage him. <laughs> you said right there. That was perfect. Um, yeah, so, so basically that, that's, that's perfect. We have to operate in faith. So whatever situation we have in our life, like I said, whatever the Goliath is, whatever you think might be funny to step into your destiny, we have to kind of operate in faith, right? So that's a big piece of being a leader. Um, I'm going to jump right into the next piece. So I'm going to ask for uh, somebody to volunteer to read the next next section. All right, 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Every time I recap it, so view life from God's perspective, invest in yourself, commit to serving leadership, um, uh, operate in faith, 
time prioritization. And my next point is refuse to check out. Refuse to check out, right? So when I think about checking out um, on, on today's day-to-day basis, sometimes we have situations where um, it might not be cool to be a Christian, right? It might not be a good situation where you have to bring your faith to the front door. I think about work. They have a terminology called Monday morning atheist, right? So you go to church on Sunday, you praising, you praising, you praying to God, and then when you get to work on Monday, it goes out the front door because that's not the environment that you're in, right? And that's what we can't do. We can't check out our faith at any point in time. We have to refuse to check out, right? And that's one thing that David did here, right? He said, uh, and I kind of underlined the, the one part, the, the Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, uh, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So he know that, you know, the Lord, right, the first two words are the Lord who rescued me, right? So he knows that it wasn't him that got He didn't rescue himself. You know what I'm saying? Like God rescued him from doing those things. So he said, if God had my back then, he's going to have my back now, right? And I'm going I'm 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 to knock this, this trash-talking shack, you know, out of the box. So basically, um, so uh, I have a question here. It says, have you ever had a time we had to fight a, a decision, you know, because of, you know, your moral decision, right, a Christian decision, because of the environment that you're in, via work or other. So I'm going to kind of leave it open for anything that came to mind. Anybody? Corbin? Oh. Hey. <laughs> um, Corbin Walker. Um, yeah, there, there are... Sometimes I would say we have to uh, balance out more decisions because of the environment you're in, especially when Tim was saying, like, a work. Um, like, uh, personally, I do, like, criminal defense work. So at times, uh, regardless of whatever, you know, um, you know, political decisions or whatever it may be or, like, the, the rights of the two um, defendants on the criminal defense, a lot of times I'm confronted with a more decision I have to make, decisions I have to make, arguments I would want to make in court, things of that nature, which, while... Do I want, because at school I went to in law school, there was a, like say, um, a justice school, a Christian school, and on one of the prayers they would always have to say, um, the, the, the sense of it was pretty much saying, dear Lord, please don't allow for me to lose my soul while I'm trying to make this argument. And that's something I think I try to balance a lot to where some of the things that where, I'm, um, where I know it's morally wrong to like, make this argument or to advance this theory or whatever it may be, there is a line I think you have to cross or in the... The, the more times you cross it, the more and more blurred it may become. So I try, I say, my, my daily life not to constantly cross those moral lines um, and make any arguments where I'm, I guess, furthering my client's best advance, but at the same time still balancing, you know, a moral decision that I may have to make at times and those decisions as they come up. All right. So that's real good. So remember, refuse to check out, and I'm going to do a little paraphrasing. So basically, Saul gave David the, the thumbs up, okay, you can go fight Goliath, because at the time, um, was was customary at the time, if you had two um, areas going to war, you could put my best fighter versus your best fighter, and whoever fighter wins that battle wins the whole war. So you could save people, save time. That's kind of what they agreed to do. So uh, Saul, King Saul said, okay, David, you'll be our representative. You're going to go fight Goliath, but I want to make sure you, you're dressed correctly. So Saul put on a bunch of army gear on David, and remember, David was about maybe 16 years old, right? We don't know how old he was, but they kind of assume around that age, right? And it just didn't fit him. It just wasn't, it wasn't him, right? He put the, the, the helmet on him and put all the, the clothes on him, and it's like putting a, a bulletproof vest, like, you know, on a, on a little kid, right? It's just, it's, just, it's just not right. It doesn't fit. So, um, so uh, David was like, you know, I can't wear those things, you know? So he went and got what he knew, right? The shepherd stuff, right? He got a shepherd's bag, got some stones, got about five stones, and his sling. And they said the stones itself was about the size of a baseball, right? So pretty nice size, right? And they were smooth stones, so they could penetrate things like a wall or a head. And um, they, when they shoot the rock through the slings back then, they could shoot the rock at least 100 miles per hour, which is pretty fast, right? So it's like almost having a gun back in the day, right? Uh, 100 miles per hour, imagine getting hit by a car 100 miles per hour, right? It's not, you know, it's, not, it's, not, it's serious, serious weaponry, but it's something that was under, underestimated at the time. Um, so Goliath wanted him, David, to get close. When Goliath, Goliath saw him, he's like, you know, he said, send a little dog at me. What am I, you know, dog, what are you, what are you doing? And um, uh, he said, I'm going to feature the birds. So he wanted David to kind of get closer to him to fight. So I'm going to stop here and ask, does anybody want to read our last section? Because oh, we're going to jump back into the story. Anybody want to read? All right. 
David said to the Philistines, you come against me with the sword and the spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel. All those gathered here, here will know that it is not by sword nor by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. You need you need glasses and name, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> So go back through the points. You lack from God's perspective. Invest in yourself. Commit to servant leadership. Um, uh, time prioritization. Operate in faith. Refuse to check out. And then my next point is you are equipped to defeat your Goliath. You are equipped to defeat your Goliath. So some things I have to – one thing I have to point out. I underlined uh, one piece at 46. So it says you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in – and let's say put blank, right? Most people say I come against you with my – sling in my stone, right? I'm going to come and get you my, you got your sword, I got my sling in my stone. No, he said, you got your sword, I got my God. You know what I'm saying? I got my God. So I think of it as whatever skills and things that he had is what we have, right? Our skills, things that we are equipped with, things that we have, and we have those things inside of us to defeat, right, our Goliath. So we are equipped, right? So my last one is you are equipped to defeat your Goliath. So I have my last and final question. Um, and this is kind of a question that gets you thinking about when you have to use God. But have you ever had to draw draw from another source to defeat your Goliath? And when you learn, okay, I can't draw from that source. I have to go back to God to defeat this Goliath. I can't use what I know, right? So I'm gonna ask anybody had a situation where you kind of use what you knew, but you realize, you know what? That's not that's not what it, what it needs to be. I have to I have to draw from God for to defeat this Goliath, whatever that Goliath may be in your life. Uh, what I like about this passage is that uh, there was two different confidence uh, in this thing. Uh, uh, Goliath had his confidence. He was strong. He was physically strong, stronger and bigger, and uh, he used his weaponry or whatever that was, the sword and the weapon. But David, his confidence came from the Lord, and I think that sometimes we forget that it's, 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 it's the Lord's battle and it's spiritual. Like sometimes we can't fight with our hands. Sometimes we have to get on our knees and pray. And so uh, I just think I don't really have anything to add to that, but I just thought that was an interesting point to bring up. Yeah. I mean, it's important for us, first first of all, as men, we have to understand. And I'm, I want to go back to a scene that happened right before this passage where Saul tried to force his his clothing on David. And, and the point I wanted to extract out of that is the fact that, you know, what worked for somebody else, it may not work for me as an individual, and we have to recognize that. And you said something that, that stuck out. You know, when you're when you're in the spirit and you're really moving in the spiritual sense, all the natural things go out the door. And a lot of times we try to bring the natural into the spiritual, and it don't work. It won't fit. David said, this doesn't fit me. And as men, we have to recognize when it doesn't fit, Take it off. I'm going to just leave it at mm-hmm. If it don't fit, you must quit. So in closing, in closing, my success equation has seven points to it, all right? Do life from God's perspective, invest in yourself, commit to serving leadership, time prioritization, right? Prioritize your time, operate in faith, refuse to check out, and you are equipped, right? So there's an acronym here. If anybody has caught it, quote on to anybody, quote on the acronym. Victory. All right. We have the victory. All right. So that is the equation that I have, and that's kind of what I put together to speak to you guys and kind of share with you guys. Hopefully, to take this and apply it to whatever you're going through, whatever Goliath you're going through, or when you have your Goliath that you're going to have in the future, that you can remember. You know what I'm saying? These points. All right. That's it. Y'all. Wow. That was good, yeah.
That was good, yeah. I don't know if y'all enjoyed it like I did, but I hope you did. Uh, you definitely can go back on the website, SolarLunches.com, and uh, all these points will be on the website, but I'm going to be reviewing this tonight. That's good. Success equation for a leader, and we all are leaders right there. One more time, give it up for my brother Tim, y'all. Man, that was good. I we like to end on a note of gratefulness, so I know a lot of us have to go to work, so we got about five minutes. I'm going to pass this mic around, and either I'll just allow you the opportunity to say what you're grateful for, uh, if you got a praise report or a prayer request, something that we can pray about, and then we're going to ask um, anybody who's led to close us out in prayer. If not, then Tim is going to close us out in prayer. <laughs> so uh, we're going to pass the mic around really quick. But uh, just a few notes before we all get out of here. I left a card on the table. I want everybody to grab a card. Even if you do have uh, the number, I want everybody to get a card where if you're not able to make it, you can call in and share it with somebody. You may not need a card. I know a lot of times you put the information to your phone, but pass it on. Say, hey, guys, we do this really great Bible study once a month. I want you to become a part of it. So I ask that you brothers share. Um, next couple of months, we've got some dynamic speakers, and they are in this room. They don't even know they're speaking yet. <laughs> they should have kept their mouth shut today. But I was like, ooh, that's good what he's talking about. He's going to be one of our speakers. <laughs> so um, I'm going to be grabbing you <laughs> after we uh, dismiss from here and ask you to share, you know, whatever Thursday that you're available. You know, I don't want to infringe on your time, but I believe that God has given all all of us a word to share with one another and encourage one another. So if I come tap you on your shoulder, you know what that's about. (laughs) And January, January, man, I want all you brothers to make it back here. Please put it on your schedule, even if you have to take off Manny. His name is Manny. He's from Samaritan's Feet. He's uh, from a small African village, and I don't know if many of you heard of Samaritan Feast, but they provide shoes for underprivileged kids. And uh, when he came here, he didn't even have a pair of shoes. He played in a basketball tournament in his country, in his native country, for a pair of shoes. Very poor, grew up in a hut. Now, him and his nonprofit, along with his wife, have placed shoes on over a million needy people. And I think that's amazing. Well, he's going to be one of our speakers in January, and he's going to share his story, a powerful story and what they're doing with Samaritan Feet. So I encourage all of you to be here. If you've never heard of them or heard of their story and their message, I think he has a message that's going to bless everybody in this room, so I'm excited about that. But until then, there's some brothers in this room that will be speaking uh, in November and December. He'll be speaking in January. And I do want to encourage you all, just go on the website. There's a lot of great stuff on there. If you got prayer requests, we pray every Wednesday at 6 a.m. There's some powerful things that happen on that prayer call. People ask for healing. They ask for jobs. And uh, they call back and say, man, would you guys pray for, you know, happening in my life? I just want to say thank you. You know, it's changing people's lives. And that's what we're all about, here to make a difference. So I'm going to pass the mic around. Either give us some something you're just grateful for or a prayer request that we can pray for you about. Say your name and go right into it. Hey, everybody. My name is Khalif Guyton. Um, something that I'm grateful for and something I give thanks for every time I wake up is just the love I have around me, uh, family, friends, people that check up on me. Um, I just feel like that's something that's um, priceless, you know, just being able to have people that love you and support you and really want the best for you. Um, Mike Roach. Most call me Roach, so you can call me Roach. Um, I'm grateful for life, health, and strength. Um, you can pray for I'm entering into a new season of, of ministry. Um, I'm operating as a youth pastor, just accepted the appointment. So if you guys can pray for me, I've been out of youth ministry many years, so if you can pray for me in that, that would be great. Thank you. Um, I would just like to say I'm thankful for our fellowship just for, you know, young men to come together and be able to kind of open up and, you know, say what's on their hearts and be able to share their story so that, you know, they realize that other people may be going through the same thing that they're going through. Um, small prayer requests. Uh, me and my wife were 
potentially moving on our, our first home uh, purchase. So pray with us and have that have a smooth process through that. Uh, I'm just thankful for this group. Uh, I'm Torian. Uh, it's iron sharp as iron, so it's one man sharp as another. So I'm just thankful because sometimes in the in the world we feel I- isolated as Christians, and then again as men. So just thankful to come together and see brothers and people just come together. Uh, my name's Harold Sublet. Um, just a prayer request. A colleague of mine, uh, she passed. She had leukemia, 41, mother wife um so it's just having that perspective and when it went back to what we we're talking about 100 percent of everything you just got to do it because you know tomorrow's never promised uh corbin walker say honestly i'm grateful for being here you know seeing so many uh you know good brothers here in the community you know trying to uh, you know, do things in the right way so it's great to come here and see so many other people you know have a similar mindset Got a good praise report. You're going to say that. <laughs> How y'all doing? How y'all doing? I'm Brandon Craig Chuck Brown, nickname Chuck. Y'all can call me Chuck. I'm just grateful for being here, you know, dealing with what's going on in the world with men drawing away from Christ and, you know, the devil just attacking all over, and it's just like you're in the world fighting and trying to get people to Christ, especially the men trying to bring them to Christ, and it's like an everyday ongoing battle. So when I come in here and I just see all these brothers coming together, you know, showing love and just their their um, fellowshipping and, you know, their testimony towards what Christ did for them, and that, that just takes me to a whole other level. So thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I have a lot to be thankful for and grateful for. Um, doing well financially. Um, me and my wife have three houses. Um, starting off a couple of businesses. Um, but I do have a prayer request. My dad has cancer since uh, May, and uh, his wife just had a mini stroke last week, which she's fine now, but um, she doesn't have any lingering effects. So I thank God for that. But just uh, you know, keep them in your prayers and um, you know, stay going out for them. I have a lot to be thankful for, but I'll just throw out a, re- a prayer request today. Um, just sometimes when you're feeling, feeling stagnant, you're wondering, asking God to speak into your life, but you got sometimes you got to just stop and say, what has God already told me to do? And uh, so that's why i just um, going to stop and ask God, Lord, what have you told me to do, or, to do already? And then uh, just to do those things. So. All right. All uh, right. I just wanted to save him for last because I don't even know if you want to share. So, uh, but I know a few months ago that, you know, we always asked for prayer requests and we gathered around this brother. You know, we prayed on his behalf, and I just think God has done a miracle in your life, and I'm grateful for that. That's what I'm grateful for because that told me that when you first walked in the room and, and I was excited for you. You know, not only do we mourn with those that mourn, but we rejoice with those that rejoice. And I'm going to continue to keep you in prayer. But I know they wonder what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so I, I forget what month it was that, that I came here for the first time. Um, Tim, Tim, uh, my good friend Tim invited me. Um, so my wife Stephanie and I have been uh, trying to have uh, a kid uh, for over a year. We've been married for about four, uh, but we tried a little bit over a year ago. Um, and back in April, uh, we found out we were pregnant. Um, the following week, uh, she, we discovered she had an ectopic pregnancy, um, required emergency surgery. She almost died. Um, ended up losing uh, a lot of blood. She needed a transfusion, lost a, a tube and stuff, um, lost a baby. Uh, so when I came in, I think it was probably the week after that. So, you know, I, was, I wasn't doing too well. Um, so fast forward to today, um, we're 16 weeks pregnant. Um, so. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so a lot to be grateful for. You know, I know we, uh, we've, you know, it's been a struggle. Um, and, you know, it's just it's made us, kind of understand that, you know, there's a lot of people in our situation when we didn't even recognize, um, you know, how difficult it can be to have kids. 
Um, you know, it's just something that you, you grow up thinking, oh, you know, when the time's ready, you know, it'll just, it'll just happen. But um, we're grateful for that. But also want to pray. Um, yeah, friends. But so I grew up in Jamaica. Um, my, my parents are in Jamaica. I haven't been able to see them but recently because of the Zika virus. Um, so they're actually coming up tomorrow. They're going to spend a month with us. So uh, grateful for that. But um, I have a lot of friends back home who want to have kids, but because of the the virus, the, you know, they're being told to hold off until um, the situation gets under control. So I just want to pray for for that situation and, um, you know, just, you know, um, just, again, just grateful for, for you guys and, and your prayers and, and thoughts. Um, so appreciate it. All right. I think those are some amazing prayer requests. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, making through that first trimester can be kind of the toughest, so we like to kind of hold that close to our hearts. And I'm rejoicing with you, and I know these brothers are as well. That's a miracle what God has done in your life. I just remember when we surrounded you and we prayed that day and just to see the outcome of what God is doing in your life and what he has done. I'm just rejoicing over that. So, Tim, we're going to let you close this out in prayer. Uh, before we get out of here, I want uh, Tori and Roach and uh, Corbin to stay behind just for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quick, real quick. All right, guys, uh, bye, bye ahead. Father God, thank you for uh, today's fellowship. Uh, thank you for bringing together some uh, strong men, uh, faithful believers, uh, people that want to be like you. Uh, thank you for um, everybody in this room. Uh, pray for everybody's prayer requests that, to be answered, everybody's hearts to be fulfilled. Uh, continue to turn those prayer requests into uh, praise reports. And um, uh, just want everybody to have a great day. She's name pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, all brothers.